0: Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, our crosses are heavy and their splinters dig deep. We are all too quick to complain and try to throw them off of ourselves. Therefore, we ask you to work through the words of today's sermon so that our eyes are focused on Christ while he was on the cross and on Christ's empty cross. Let us see the benefits of the crosses you put upon us that we may rejoice in the benefits you give us through them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. He called the crowd and his disciples together and said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. After all, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? In fact, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. When I was younger, the movie The Gods Must Be Crazy came out, and in that movie, right away, a man littering drops a soda bottle out of the window of an airplane, and somehow that bottle that was made out of glass doesn't shatter, and a remote tribe picks it up. They didn't know that it was actually meant to hold liquid, and they find a hundred different uses for it, and right away you see them doing things like pounding maize with it, and you wonder why it doesn't shatter. Pretty soon it's such a useful tool and there's only one that the whole entire tribe starts fighting over it and they decide they have to get rid of it. Well, if you don't understand what something is for, you may be in a big hurry to get rid of it and miss the whole point of having it. And that's what we're going to get at today as Jesus talks about his own cross and the crosses that we bear. Let me tell you what crosses are for. And we can see that not just by reading history, but truly by reading the Bible They were to torture people to death. And so today our sermon theme is, the cross is for torturing to death. Now, our text begins, and Jesus began to teach them that, in the Greek literally says, it is necessary for the Son of Man to suffer and be rejected after examination by the elders, chief priests, scribes, and to be slain, and to raise up after three days. And Jesus was speaking this message in openness. We'd almost say publicly. Very boldly. A lot is said here and there's a sermon worth that said here. But Jesus is telling his disciples from the get go, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again. Now, it's very interesting the way uh, Jesus says this, that he's going to be rejected after examination by the very people who should have been looking for the Savior and be, be preparing Israel and making sure Israel was prepared to receive the Savior. The chief priests, the elders, and all of those. Instead, when Jesus came, they took a look at what Jesus had to offer as the Savior. And they said, no, selfishly, we want to protect our own positions. And so they rejected him. Yet, like somebody picking out a stone, as the psalm says, to build two walls together to start a temple, throwing it over. No, this is definitely not what we want. That's exactly what God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had planned from all eternity. This is a religion that doesn't make sense to the world because it's the only religion in which salvation is God's free gift to you. You don't do anything but passively receive it. God takes care of everything. See, Jesus was rejected. They literally used the cross to torture him. And if he was not true God, we would say he was tortured to death. But as true God, he could have stopped at any time and he bore that torture, including having the flesh literally flayed off his back with the whipping for you. There is a physical punishment that came with his being our substitute. We can somewhat imagine the pain because we've stubbed toes, we've, we've injured ourselves, we've cut ourselves on accident. But the thing that we cannot imagine is the spiritual torture. For God abandoned the God-man. How God could forsake God, I do not know there on the cross. But hell literally is being abandoned by God. Even the most God-hating, militant, radical atheist does not know in this life what it's truly like to be utterly and completely abandoned by God but Jesus on the cross knew. And he endured that so you would never have to know what it's like to be utterly and completely abandoned by God. Here is where he took both the physical, but especially the eternal spiritual punishment for your and my sins. So you and I, praise be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would never have to suffer it. This is foolishness in the ears of human beings. To mankind, salvation is something you earn, or as we find out in the gospels, that the kind of savior the world was actually looking for was a temporal, earthly savior. They wanted somebody who would establish a kingdom like King David had, who would chase the Romans out of town. And For example, when Jesus did the miracle of feeding the 5,000 men, the very next day, the crowd was planning on forcing Jesus to be their king because they didn't want a spiritual king, they wanted free bread every day that they wouldn't have to work for. And let's admit it, most of them, the Jewish people, wanted a king who would drive the Romans out, maybe even conquer the entire Roman Empire and make Israel a political kingdom over the whole entire world. With all this in mind, Peter pulls the Lord aside and began to strongly admonish Jesus. Oh no, Lord, no, 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 not for this foolish talk. You who are true God and true man don't know what you're talking about, but we do. We're waiting for that political earthly kingdom of David. They missed that that kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. It was Christ ruling in your heart now and in all eternity. His true kingdom is the invisible church, which will be made visible when he returns. And so Jesus turned himself around and he looked at his disciples and strongly admonished Peter and he said, Get away behind me, Satan, because you do not keep thinking about the things which belong to God, but to the things which belong to men. See, behind all this is the same temptation that the devil gave Jesus after his baptism when Jesus was in the desert fasting for 40 days. By the way, you can't fast for 40 days without cheating. God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit were keeping Jesus alive while his stomach would be saying, ouch. But the devil comes to him and says, if you bow and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, Jesus as true God would never succumb to that. But what the devil offered was a shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. You can have all this. It was already Jesus's because he's true God and the devil was lying. See, if Jesus had bought into that, which he never could because he's God, he never would. But if Jesus had bought into that, he would have a temporal political world subjected to decay and you and I would still have an eternity of burning in hell. Christ loved you too much for that. There's a warning for you and I because too many Christians get confused. Even after Jesus rose from the grave, the disciples said, Lord, you're gonna establish that earthly kingdom now? They refused until the Holy Spirit came upon them to realize that Jesus was talking about his rule in your heart. And so be very careful. A lot of Christians who meanwhile get confused and they keep expecting a time when Christ will come back and establish a political kingdom. As he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world world. Christ did not succumb to the devil's temptation. And Peter didn't recognize the devil was behind his words. And those Christians who get confused about a political or earthly kingdom, they don't even realize that the devil is working behind those words. Christ's kingdom is his rule in your heart. He didn't shortcut the torture of the cross. For you so that he could have you for all eternity. And when he returns, he's going to remove sin of this world, make the remake, the world new with free from the effects of sin and give you a glorified body. He's your savior. Now you're in his kingdom. Now he's ruling over creation for you now. And then in all eternity. You get to see the privilege, the joys of paradise. And so the cross is for torturing to death, which is what the people had in mind with Jesus. Jesus's cross was a torture that was meant to purchase and win you. So Jesus's cross was for your salvation. I say that in the past tense because on the cross he won your salvation. It's done. This is why he cried out, It's finished. But you know, Jesus actually had to carry that cross to Golgotha after having been beat up by the guards, having had the flesh flayed off of his back by the whipping. He didn't use all the powers of his godhood, and so he stumbled. He fell upon the way. Our crosses are heavy. I used to think that the cross was just meant to be a burden in this life. That's not it at all. You are carrying the burden that you are going to be tortured to death on. That's a cross. If if you remove faith and the burden remains, that is not the cross. What Jesus is talking about in today's text is specifically about crosses that come upon you for being a Christian. And it's really in today's text is persecution. And so our text continues. Then Jesus called the crowd with his disciples near to himself. And he said to them, if someone wants to continue following after me, then let him pay no attention to himself. Take up his cross and keep on following me. To take up the cross means you're carrying it to where that something's going to be tortured to death. Cruel and mean, isn't it? And that's why he says you've got to pay no attention to yourself. And here is a major warning. Because our sinful nature is inward bent. We look out for number one. Listen, even to Christians who don't recognize what they're saying when it comes to things like worship. What I want in worship. The music I enjoy. And oftentimes, even when it comes to serving our neighbor, we hear people say, it just makes me feel so good. Or you hear confused Christians who don't realize salvation is a free gift think that it's earning them salvation. That is selfishness. It is inward bent. One of the reasons for the cross is As we're carrying it, it's going to to torture our sinful nature to death. But as we're carrying it, it gets us to stop looking at ourselves and start focusing on Christ on the cross where our sins are paid for and Christ off the cross as proof that our sins are paid in full. We focus on that cross and we stop being inward bent. But Jesus here says, if you're going to follow him, you have to take up a cross. Now, these crosses are not like the medieval monks thought where they would start beating themselves or like Christians today, who let's admit it, some Christians can be obnoxious in their witness and people at work get tired of the obnoxiousness and say, stop it. And then they think they're being persecuted and it's really people are just saying, stop being annoying. Crosses are not self-induced, but Jesus says they are going to come. Now, there are a lot of charlatan preachers out there And they run their churches like businesses. They find out just like a business would, they do the research and they say, this is what people want. See, they're inward bent. And then they give them what they want and you'll see they grow big. But one of the things people want and this is why I made the analogy about that glass bottle where the tribe didn't understand what it was for and you stand back and flinches, you wonder why this bottle hasn't shattered yet. One of the things people want in this temporal life is a kingdom of God in which if they follow the right to-do list, and that's themselves, then all of a sudden God's gonna bless them with temporal earthly pleasures. They'll have heaven on earth. Every time you hear a message like that, we call it prosperity theology. Ask yourself, does this square up with Jesus saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to stop being inward bent. You're going to take up a cross. Those crosses are meant for our good, whether it is the hatred of somebody because we are a Christian or whether it's other things in our life. Again, if it's removed and our faith, remains intact. It's not a cross they are meant to torture our sinful nature to death because our sinful nature is inward bent and will only focus on himself. And so our text continues, since whoever continues to to desire to save his soul will utterly destroy it. Yet whoever will utterly destroy his soul for my sake and my gospel, then he will save it. Now, The inspired Greek word used here for soul is, if you'll allow me to digress a little bit, the biblical definition for death is when the soul is separated from the body. So it's really talking about life. Without this thing, you're dead. Now they've yet to figure out a medical instrument that can measure that. When Jesus talks about saving your life, he's talking about saving your temporal, earthly life. When we look at the things that come with Christianity and people will say, if I don't get a Christianity in which I don't get a bigger car and a better house and, and, and no health issues and I not want anything to do with it. They're focused on their temporal life. And again, this is really talking about persecution that comes upon Christians for being believers. Now, Peter denied his Lord before that girl. He looked out to save his own neck, but Peter repented of it. It wasn't an ongoing shame that he had. And in fact, in that case, it crucified his sinful nature because he never, ever denied his Lord again after that night. And in fact, he died because he would not deny his Lord. They hated the witness he gave, and so they crucified Peter, as tradition says. So what Jesus is saying here is if you're looking out for your own neck in this temporal life, you're going to lose the whole deal being in his kingdom now through the invisible church, which is his rule in your heart. And then again, the kingdom that when it becomes visible, when all sin is removed from this world. And again, the word here for gospel, too many people get confused and they're inward bent again. That is Christ being tortured to death for you so that you will will never have to suffer being abandoned by God so that you are in his kingdom now. So crosses, they will wreck your temporal earthly life. But they are designed to torture your sinful nature so that like that night when Peter denied his Lord, that sinful nature doesn't keep you denying the Lord out of wanting to take care of your temporal neck. They're designed to torture that sinful nature so that your new man stays clinging to the cross of Christ. Then we're told at verse 36, Indeed, what does it benefit a man to gain the entire world and to suffer the loss of his soul? Indeed, what will a man give in exchange Price for his soul. A rich young ruler came to Jesus one time, and, and he said, "What must I do to earn eternal life?" See, it's already in word bent. I earn this. I earn this inheritance. Jesus says, "You know the law." The guy goes through everything, and here Jesus isn't talking for all believers of all time. He was specifically applying the law to the man. He was showing him who his true God is. Jesus said. One thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me and you will be saved. See, Jesus was showing that man that he broke the first commandment because his true love was not God. It was his material possessions. The man walked away sad. Jesus said to his disciples at that time, It's easier for the camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit heaven. And people then turn around and look at a gate that was called the eye of the needle that didn't even exist until the medieval ages. No, what Jesus was saying is, you don't buy your way into heaven. The Pharisees, as John Calvin taught in the Reformation, thought that if you were rich, that meant God blessed you and certainly you were predestined. What Jesus is saying is very few people can manage money without let it be as God. Some can Men like Abraham, who definitely was saved. Joseph of Arimathea, who gave his grave to the Lord. Lazarus and his sisters, they were not poor by their standards, but money doesn't buy you heaven. If you wanna know what it costs to buy heaven just for you, it costs something more precious than human life. It costs the torturing death and life Of the God man, God himself having taken on human flesh and he willfully, gladly paid that price for you so that he could rule in his heart and be with you in all eternity. And so it benefits us nothing if we let the worries and the cares and the temporal pleasures of this life take the place in our heart that belongs to God. Jesus, talking about the cross, then says in verse 38, Indeed, whoever is ashamed of me in my words among this adulterous and sinful generation, so the Son of Man will also most definitely be ashamed of him whenever he does come in the glory of his Father together with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me in this adulterous generation... The scriptures describe the last generation as those that are alive in the time, who have lived in the time since Christ has risen from the grave, since Christ spoke these words. Because the next big thing to happen is his return. And he calls it an adulterous generation. In the Old Testament, God used adultery as an example. The people of Israel were supposed to be married to the Lord, if you will. And yet they chased after false gods. All too often, we can be ashamed of Jesus and his word. And it happens. We go to college. We go to work. Oh, you're not telling me that you actually believe that God could have possibly been powerful enough to create the world and so he must have created it in six days? You don't actually believe that, do you? I mean, we know by science that it would take billions and billions of years for this freak accident to happen. Oh, oh, you couldn't possibly believe that God would take on human flesh and die for you, hang naked and be tortured by the people he was going to save. Don't you think, don't you think that's shameful? Why you should earn your salvation. Too many Christians today even don't even realize that they forsake the word that actually gives them salvation, tells them a salvation, reminds them of forgiveness. They forsake it in great shame. This isn't somebody who one time like Peter did with that uh, on the night Jesus was betrayed, looking out for his own neck. This is somebody who's constantly ashamed of the Word of God. When somebody's ashamed of the Word of God once and they come to realize it, God has tortured their sinful nature, so their new man is strong and able to beat it down again. But if we're going to forsake the word of God, we might as well forsake all of it. I don't understand this. If people don't believe the Bible, why even believe that Jesus was true God who saved them? And so Jesus warns us here, but not to do that. But ultimately, when we see crosses, even if we're being killed, tortured to death for being a Christian by people who hate the idea of free salvation. God's just going to take you up to heaven and free you from the sins of this world. Crosses, the crosses you bear are meant to torture to death. And it may literally mean your physical life is tortured to death. Jesus says, don't worry about it. I've given you eternal life. Testify boldly about me. Don't be ashamed. But for those times when, like Peter, we're weak, those crosses then are meant to torture our sinful nature so that we focus our eyes on God's word, where we hear about Christ on the cross for us and Christ's empty cross, where that sin too is forgiven. And our sinful nature thereby is tortured by them so that we are kept alive eternally in Christ. The cross is for torturing to death. Just like that bottle in that movie. Every time I saw somebody in the tribe use it, I kept flinching, waiting for it to shatter because they didn't understand what it was for. And finally they rejected it because it was causing fighting among them. That's what happens when we don't understand the cross. We reject it. It's actually a good thing. The cross is for torturing to death. Jesus' cross was for your salvation your crosses are for your sinful nature to beat it down so it doesn't cost you the salvation that God won for you. And thereby, God's word comes and strengthens your new man. Amen. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you as faultless in the presence of his glory and the great joy to only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all time now and for all eternity. Amen.